Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. All right, if you have a Bible, open it with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I love Christmas music, and so uh, I know that you probably do as well, but not too early in the year, right? Like, there's a whole debate on when is the proper time to start listening to Christmas music, and everybody has a different opinion on it. Uh, Can you start after Halloween? Is it after Thanksgiving? Is it December 1st? And so I thought it'd be fun. Let's see what you think this morning. I kind of want to poll the crowd, poll the audience a little bit. So if you think that the proper time to start listening to Christmas music is after Halloween, would you just raise up your hand? Okay. Yeah. So you're just not thankful at all. That's fine. Um, How many of you would say after Thanksgiving is the proper time? Yeah, I'm in that group as well. How many of you would say December 1st? Okay. A few of you would say that as well. How many of you would say, I listen to Christmas music all year round and I'm the most joyful person? Okay, yeah, all right. So I wanted to know kind of what people thought on this and so I I looked online and and Spotify, you know, the streaming provider, music provider, um, they have put out some information that says in the United States, Christmas music peaks on November 13th, which is kind of odd and kind of random, right? Worldwide though, it peaks November 1st. Um, I found another study that said that 64% of people say that you're supposed to start listening to Christmas music on December 1st. And and so basically what I'm saying is nobody knows when the right time to start listening. I do know that today is December 3rd, so we're safe, right? We're safe this morning. And so we're talking about Christmas music over the next few weeks together. I love Christmas music. It's so powerful. It, it, it transports you back to maybe memories that you have with loved ones or different times or seasons or the traditions that you love about Christmas. I know that it's Christmas whenever I start hearing a couple of certain songs, the songs from the movie Home Alone and the songs from The Grinch. That's how I know that it's Christmas. But for, for you, whatever those songs may be, Christmas music is one of the things that makes Christmas Christmas, isn't it? And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna look at this new series that we're calling The Lyrics of Christmas. And it's just looking at these four songs that we see at the very first Christmas in Luke chapter one and two. Today's the very first Christmas song ever written or ever sung, and it's sung by the mother of Jesus, Mary. Right? And so my goal through this series is that for all of us, that this Christmas season would be one that's defined by worship. All right? I think that's the main point of what Christmas is supposed to be about for us, and that is to worship our Savior. So that's what we're going to see in this series. So to set the stage for Luke chapter 1 and Mary's song that we're going to see, um, you know, and I'm sure that you've heard the story, but there was this teenage girl named Mary. She was, she was unmarried, and the angel Gabriel comes to her in the early parts of Luke chapter 1 and says, you're going to have a child, and she's confused by that. She's like, I'm not married. I've never been with a man, and, and, and the angel says, you're going to conceive the Son of God, and so she's super confused, but she's also willing in this moment. And the angel Gabriel, he just kind of slips this in. He goes, hey, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. 
And Elizabeth, she was unable to get pregnant. She was older in age. And so she was unable to be pregnant. And so the angel just kind of slips that in there. Like, I know that you're probably nervous about this, but by the way, Elizabeth is pregnant too. And so Mary, it says in verse 39 of chapter one, runs to Elizabeth's house, right? And because that's what pregnant ladies do, right? They like to talk to one another about their pregnancies. And so there's nothing unusual about the fact that Mary runs to Elizabeth's house to talk about all this right? Married ladies do this. They talk about, you know, the, the things that they're experiencing, the stories, the symptoms of childbirth. I don't know if you're allowed to call them symptoms or not, but the side effects of being pregnant, the, the cravings, those kind of things. Um, I remember when my wife was pregnant with our first child, um, I talked her into a lot of cravings. And, uh, you know, I'd be like at 10 o'clock at night, hey, don't you need some Taco Bell or some ice cream, you know? And she'd be like, no. And I said, well, I'm having some pregnancy cravings and I gained a lot of weight during our first pregnancy. And so I did better on the other two. Um, but, but pregnant ladies, they'll do that. They'll get together and they'll talk a little bit and that's what's happening. So nothing unusual about that, but what they're talking about is very special. So whenever Mary walks in uh, to Elizabeth's home, the baby inside of Elizabeth jumps. And we know that that's gonna be John the Baptist, right? But it says in verse 41 that Elizabeth uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, Elizabeth declares this huge statement. She says, Mary, the one that you're carrying is the Lord. It's, it's the Son of God, it's the promised Messiah. That's what, that's what Elizabeth tells her. And so that's crucial. That's a huge thing that just happened because you need to understand that up until this point, God had not spoken for 400 years to the people of God. Like they hadn't heard from him since like the end of the Old Testament. So for 400 years, they'd just been rebelling against God, turning away from him. And so God just kind of leaves them to it and says, just have, you know, do your, do your thing essentially. So no, no, um, prophets, no angels, no messages from God for 400 years until this older pregnant lady speaks to this younger teenage pregnant girl and declares that the Messiah is coming to you. The only thing that the people of God had to hold on to during those 400 years is this ancient promise of God that one day he's going to send the Messiah. And now Elizabeth is saying, that's the one that's growing inside of you. And when Mary hears that, Man, she can't contain her excitement. And she just busts into a song of worship. And that's what we're gonna read. Before we do, I want us to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. And so I'm gonna pray for all of us and I wanna invite you, just pray for yourself in this time. Ask God to speak to you through his word. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time together with our church family and, and this Christmas season and what it means for us as followers of you that you stepped into the darkness of this world and you sent Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh to come and save broken people from our sin. And so this morning as we look at the song of Mary, would you help us to reflect and would you help us to see what it looks like to worship you completely? Would you speak and help us to listen? It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, Luke chapter one, we're gonna start in verse 46. And I know that you've been sitting for a while, so I wanna invite you, if you would, why don't you just stand and let's read God's word together. Luke chapter one, verse 46. This is a song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary said, my soul 
magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Do you have a seat? So she starts by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. This song of Mary has been um, titled the Magnificat. And, And Magnificat is a Latin term and it expresses praise and worship, right? It comes from that first line. The the Greek word that's used there uh, for magnifies means to make great or to exalt or to glorify or to magnify. The easiest way to think about it is think about a magnifying glass, right? We've all used a magnifying glass as a kid growing up or in school, something like that. And what does a magnifying glass do? It, It helps you see something better. Like it changes your whole view, your whole perspective on that thing. Whenever you hold it up, everything gets larger. That's what Mary's doing here. Mary is worshiping God, magnifying him, making him great. And in that, she teaches us how to worship. And so I want to show you just a couple of things that I think she's doing here in this song that will help you and I worship in this Christmas season better. Her song declares first, look what he's done for me. Look what he's done for me. Look back at verse 48. It says, I magnify him because of this. He has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. What you see is Mary has a proper perspective, doesn't she? She has a proper perspective and it's this. I don't deserve any of this. I don't don't deserve any of it. God had chosen her, this, this teenage girl, chosen her to carry the Messiah, the promised one. She, she's, she's chosen to carry him and to feed him and raise him and protect him and love him and spend all of the time watching him grow. Like she is chosen to be the mother of the savior of the world. And her response is, who am I? And that's the right response, Right? That's the right response. She's right in thinking that. See, socially speaking, Mary was a nobody. She was poor. We know that from Luke chapter two, whenever she and Joseph go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, it says that that they offer two pigeons. Leviticus chapter 12 verse eight tells us that two pigeons was the sacrifice that was set aside for poor people so that they could still be made right with God. It was the lowest, it was the cheapest animal that they could have. And that's what Mary and Joseph go to the temple in Luke chapter two and offer, the two, two pigeons. So we know that she's poor. We also know that she's a teenage girl, meaning that she has absolutely no social standing. She's at the bottom of the pecking order, socially and culturally. But also on top of all that, now she's pregnant and she's not married. This would have completely ruined her 
socially and relationally. So socially speaking, she's going, who am I? And she's exactly right. And not only socially, but she's also speaking spiritually. See, she understood her place in it all. She understood that she's just a sinful person, sinful human in comparison to a holy God. It does need to be said that Mary was a sinful human just like you and me. Mary was not perfect. She was, she was sinful. There's a line of thinking um, that Mary was somehow perfect or holy or something, and, and this birth, the reason Jesus was perfect, they call it the Immaculate Conception, uh, not the Immaculate Reception. That was a football play that happened a couple years ago. The Immaculate Conception is what people say because uh, they say that Mary was perfect or holy in some way, but that's, that's not where Jesus' perfection came from. It came from being the Son of God. Mary is sinful. She's a person. She's a human just like just like us, and so those that worship her or pray to her are severely missing the mark because she says herself in this song that God is my savior. Now, perfect people don't need a savior, do they? And she's declaring that God is her savior. By her own admission, she also says she's just a servant of God, that God chose her and loved her and chose to use her in a major way, but she's just a servant. So she understands her place. She understands God's holiness and her relationship to his holiness is she falls far below him. She doesn't measure up. And because she understands all that, she is blown away at the fact that God would choose to use her. Like you don't see any entitlement in her at all, do you? She has the proper perspective. And listen, for you and me, you just need to know that entitlement as a believer is a very dangerous place to live. Feeling like God owes you something or that you've arrived is a very dangerous place to be. This week I got to do something really cool. Never done it before, ever. And that's, I went to my first Hogs game. First Arkansas Razorbacks basketball game. They happened to be playing the Duke Blue Devils. It was a huge game, right? I was super fired up to go to this game. It was on Wednesday. I got invited um, by a church member, Shane Hobbs. Um, he's a great guy, but don't tell him I said that, right? But this game was awesome, unreal experience. I love basketball just in general. And so I've been to a lot of different arenas and games like that. I think this was the loudest, craziest place I've ever been. And then they stormed the court and Shane had to hold me back from running down there. And uh, not really, we just got out of there. But we were supposed to leave, the game was on Wednesday. And we were gonna leave um, to, to drive up to Fayetteville. I was supposed to meet him at his office at 1 p.m. that day. And we were gonna drive up, you know, it takes a couple hours and get some dinner and get, get to the ball game, right? Well, on Monday of last week, I get a phone call from Shane who had just talked to a guy named Jake Briley, who's also a church member and just happens to run the Conway Airport here in town. And he called Shane and said, hey, are you still taking David to that game? And Shane said, yeah, I am. And Jake goes, Cool, well just meet me at the airstrip at 6 p.m. on Wednesday and we'll just fly to the game, All right? And I thought, that's pretty cool, whatever he told me. I'll be honest with you, I was excited, but mainly I was scared. <laughs> I was extremely nervous. And I texted Jake, I was like, hey man, is this guy like, is this just a dude with a plane and a hobby? Or is he like, you know, he goes, no, he flies all the time. You'll be fine. And so it was awesome. We flew to this game. We were there. It only takes like 40 minutes from the time you leave Conway till you touch down in Fayetteville. Then you just walk right off the plane and go, you know, just feel like, feel a little big time, right? <laughs> feel a little cool. 
And uh, that, was, that was the overwhelming sense, but there was also just this sense of going, I don't deserve this. I don't fly to ball games. You know, I don't, I don't do that. But I could see like if I started to do that all the time, if I, if I flew to a lot of ball games, I would start to feel pretty entitled. I start to feel like, you know what? I do this, you know? And that wouldn't be a good or healthy place for me at all. Can I suggest to you that some of us maybe have let entitlement set in with our relationship with the Lord? that maybe we've let entitlement just kind of sneak in. I think maybe some of us have just maybe gotten used to the fact that God saved us. And like somehow we forget that, that we were declared enemies of God before he saved us. And then he in his goodness, he, he calls us out of that and, and brings us into the, the family, but somewhere along the way that's just become like old news. Like somewhere along the way, we've just lost the awe and the wonder of the fact that God has saved us. And the truth is this, if you live in a place of entitlement, you'll never worship him properly. Because the proper perspective of worship is, I don't deserve any of this, but look at him. Look at his goodness. That's what she says next in verse 49. He's the mighty one who has done great things for me. Like in this, the, the fact that God chose Mary, socially, bottom of the food chain, spiritually, she's a sinner, she's a human just like us. In this, we see the goodness of God on full display. Like the fact that he chose her shows us what God cares about, and it's different from what you and I typically care about. See, our culture worships power and influence and fame and status and money all of those kind of things, but God's kingdom is different. God loves to lift up the lowly. In fact, that's what this whole song is about, that God is for those who don't deserve it. And he's against those that feel like they do. You see that in verse 52 and 53, it says that he topples the mighty from their thrones. He exalts the lowly, he satisfies the hungry and he sends the rich away empty. That's the same message, by the way, that Jesus, who's in Mary's womb, will be born in some 30 years later. That's the same message he's gonna come preaching, right? He's gonna preach this upside down kingdom. He was all the time focusing on the outcast and the sinner and the broken and the hurting. He was all the time speaking against those in power and those who use their power to abuse people, right? And, 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 and that's why they killed Jesus, by the way. They tried to say it was religious reasons and they tried to say it was blasphemy and all that, but really Jesus challenged their power and, and their money and their influence. And they didn't like it, so they killed him for it. But his ministry was defined by lifting up the poor and bringing down the powerful. And, and what he's doing here is he's wanting everyone to know that we're all on equal playing ground. We all need Jesus the poor just seem to understand it a little bit easier. But the gospel teaches us that Jesus is for everyone. You just have to recognize your need for him. And that's what Mary does. She's quick to say, I don't deserve any of this, but look what he's done for me. Verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Verse 48, she calls herself a servant of the Lord. Like, it's obvious that this girl loves the Lord. 
right? If you've ever wondered, like, just choosing Mary, was that just some kind of random thing? Couldn't, is that just the first person God saw? I think it's obvious she loved the Lord and she loved scripture and God chose to use her because of that. In this song, which is just 10 short verses in our, in our modern Bible, there are 15 discernible quotations from the Old Testament. Like this girl's mind is saturated with scripture. And the truth for us, man, if you wanna be used by God, if you would say, I wanna be used by God, then, then this text shows us become obsessed with his word. Become obsessed with his word, drink it in so much that it starts to pour out of you whenever you think or speak or go about your day. Don't pursue stages, don't pursue opportunities or, or things like that. Just get in the word and let a lifestyle of worship flow from it. Love him and serve him. Don't ever let any of this become about you. Just live in awe of him. That's what we see in Mary. Whenever she says, look what he's done for me. Look what he's done for me. Secondly, she says, look what he's done for us. Look what he's done for us. See, the amazing thing about this song is that Mary isn't saying she's the only one to benefit here. Verse 50, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. See, she's singing about the faithfulness of God to the past. Like, sure, there's a whole lot about that, about speaking to Israel and the ancestors and all the different ways that God was faithful in the past. But I think it's also talking about the faithfulness to us in this room right now, whenever she says generation to generation. And so as we kick off this Christmas season, I think it's worth asking, how has God been good to us? And spend some time reflecting on that. I'm sure that you can think of tons of ways that God's been good to you. That God's been good to your friends, your family, and even our church family. Over the years, God has blessed us tremendously. For over 100 years, Second Baptist has existed as a church and reaching this community and loving people and sharing the gospel with them. He's been good to us. And so this Christmas, man, reflect and worship God for his faithfulness to you and your family and to our church family. But the ultimate way that he's been good and faithful and the one that she's singing about here in this passage is by sending the one that was promised to Abraham. It's by sending the one that Mary is now carrying. It's the promised, promised savior. Verse 54 and 55, it mentions Abraham, mentions descendants, and it mentions things spoken to our ancestors. What is this talking about? It's talking about what's called the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes this promise or covenant to Abraham. He tells him in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham and Sarah, these two people who also couldn't have children, by the way, that he's gonna use them in a miraculous way, that they're gonna have a child, and that through that child, that, that there's gonna be a people that is formed, and that through his line, all the people of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, three, I believe, is where, where he says that. He makes this promise that, that through Abraham and Sarah, all the people of the earth are gonna be blessed. And he's talking about the promised savior. He's talking about Jesus. 
Ask me how I know that? Well, just look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter one. Matthew lines out the genealogy of Jesus, starting with Abraham and goes all the way to Jesus. The promise made to Abraham, all the way at the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 12, was talking about the day that the Savior Jesus Christ would be born. And Mary understands that, and she understands that he is now mine. He's now mine. That's what she says. Do you see how that's personal? See how that's a possessive type of element to it? And, and really that's what shapes this whole song. She's saying, who am I? I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve God to love me, to choose me, to use me for his purposes, but he has, and this savior is mine. Can I tell you that the same offer is available to you this Christmas? that you can say the same thing that she's saying, that through this promised baby's life that she's carrying and his eventual death on a cross on behalf of you and me, we too can sing Mary's song, that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. It's personal. We have a tendency in our culture and in our world to make things about us, don't we? especially at Christmas, <laughs> especially at Christmas. We just make it all about us and, and gifts and wish lists, traditions that we like or don't like. And I think those, those things are fine. We can make it about our busy schedules and all kinds of things. And, and the funny thing is, is Hollywood has picked up on this, right? And Christmas movies have, 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 have seen this in us and they've made a killing off of our selfishness. One of my favorite Christmas movies is The Grinch. Love that movie. Jim Carrey, I think, was born to be The Grinch. And uh, it's such a good, such a good movie. But in, in that movie, The Grinch steals Christmas. He goes and he takes all their presents and all the stockings, all the Christmas trees, everything away from the homes. And, and then if you remember, he goes up onto the mountain and he's looking down on the city, thinking that he's really done something, that he stole Christmas. And, and then Dr. Sue says, and all the who's, the tall and the small, were singing, right? They were singing without any presence at all. And the Grinch comes to this conclusion. It's the famous line. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And then his heart grows three times its size. He falls down. He has the heart attack. You remember that? And then the sun starts shining on his face. And he's like, I'm all toasty inside, right? <laughs> it starts crying. And I'm leaking. Yeah. Such a good movie. Look, I don't know if the Grinch understood and probably not. But let me tell you, the main point of Christmas is that God in his kindness entered into the darkness of our mess as a poor little baby, born in a manger, the savior of the world, Emmanuel, God is now with us. And you and I did nothing to deserve it. And that fact, that reality should cause us to bust into song, not just like singing a few songs before church, but a lifestyle of worship saying, wow, look what he's done for me. And look what he's done for us. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. 
We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.